This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, welcome to Disability Law Show. We are back. You are back. Good to go. John Scholes here. Martin Willems doing all the heavy lifting as he does every week on this show. So tuck in for the next hour. You're going to learn a lot and a chance to correspond uh, with Martin. Maybe your email will appear on a, a later show for sure. Help at Disability disabilityrights.ca and the phone number anytime 1-855-821-5900 martin getting it right into this our main topic for the day let's uh, let's get it happening four things to know when your disability is as a result of a workplace injury number one to get us warmed up psych- uh, psychological injuries due to workplace harassment and or bullying are also compensable as workplace injuries if approved tell me about it so this is an interesting one, John. And yep. The reason why this is very relevant is because lots of people go off work because of mental health disorders, and they also mm-hmm. have group coverage. Although our firm does not handle WorkSafe claims, and we practice, as you know, in Ontario, BC, and Alberta, uh, this does become relevant in terms of a long-term disability claim. So. The act, as I understand it, had changed a few years ago to the extent that psychological injuries, if they are a result of workplace harassment and bullying, are also compensable. Like if you were to injure yourself at work falling off a crane and you suffered a broken back, you can submit a claim to WorkSafe and have your wages paid for a period of time that it takes you to get ready to go back to work. Same thing is available for psychological injuries due to workplace harassment or bullying. I think the approval rate is not as high, but it is important to still submit a claim. So for anybody out there who is listening, who knows somebody or who personally has gone through this, if there has been workplace bullying and harassment, and it's all due to the workplace, then and you've, sub- you've developed a, com- a recognized psychiatric disorder, you should consider submitting a WorkSafe claim, because if you were to go off work as a result of that, mm-hmm. it indirectly impacts your long-term disability claim. Number two, if your WorkSafe claim is approved, you must still submit a claim for benefits with your group insurer as there are time uh, timelines that apply, right? This is something that I've run into quite a lot over the years. So somebody may have a, they're employed with an employer. They get bullied and harassed at work. Um, there may be other reasons as well as to why they develop a mental health disorder. They go off work and they submit a claim with the, um, with the uh, WorkSafe entity. Uh-huh. Or it may be because of another issue that they've gone off work. It may not just be mental health disorder. It may be because they broke their back, as I said before, a physical injury. They submit a claim to WorkSafe. WorkSafe approves the claim. Human resources may say to the person, the employee, well, it's not necessary for you to submit a claim to the group insurer because WorkSafe is paying your benefits. Now, what happens if that claim were to end with WorkSafe? Then you haven't submitted a claim to the group insurer. You're still not ready to go back to work. Now nobody's paying you. Now you want to have the group insurer pay you. They then may turn around and say to you, "Uh uh-uh, you're too late. You should have submitted this claim way back when. So it's important, even if they may not pay you, it is important to still abide by the timelines in the group policy, which, as we all know, is a contract. And that contract has certain deadlines, timelines. So you must submit a claim within a certain period of time, even if you are getting um, other 
income from other sources like WorkSafe. So, to be clear about this, if you have a claim that arose as a result of a workplace injury and you've submitted a claim to WorkSafe and they are paying you, you must still submit your claim to the group insurer that you have through your employment just to make sure that you don't miss any of the timelines mandated in your group policy. We're talking about four things to know when your disability is a result of a workplace injury. Number three, WorkSafe benefits likely be deducted from your LTD benefit pursuant to the terms of the policy. What do you think about that? Another interesting one. So group policies have various provisions that allow the insurance company to deduct benefits from other sources. The main ones would be CPP disability benefits, which we discuss every week. And the other one, the other main one, would be WorkSafe benefits. So if you are receiving loss of income from other sources, particularly WorkSafe or similar legislation, it is very, very likely that your group policy will provide that those benefits that you receive from WorkSafe would be deducted as what is called a direct offset. In other words, dollar for dollar. And this again goes back to one of my previous points that if you were to submit a claim for WorkSafe, it may end up that it wipes out your long-term disability benefit. And that is why many people think, well, it's not necessary for me to apply to the group insurer because WorkSafe is paying my benefit and the insurance company will not need to pay me anything while this is happening, which is generally true. But again, if you haven't submitted the claim and WorkSafe were to then stop paying you, Nobody is paying you. And if you then turn to that insurance company, you may have an issue. And we don't know how long WorkSafe will pay people for, right? It may be that it is a devastating injury and no benefits will be payable by the insurance company as WorkSafe will continue to pay. Or it may be that WorkSafe pays for a year or 18 months and then they cut you off. And if you didn't apply within that timeline, the insurance company is going to turn around and say, well, sorry, you should have done, you should have applied to us. Now, another comment that I wanted to make on that is if that does happen, if there were to be a denial because you submitted the claim too late, there are still ways to deal with that, which means that you should contact us. And kind of along those same lines, Martin, the fourth point on this one is if your long-term disability uh, benefits, uh, disability benefits with the group insurer is denied while you are still receiving WorkSafe benefits, you should still call a lawyer like you as there are time limits that apply to take action, right? It's all about timing. It's all about timing. So I'll, I'll use this as an example. So mm-hmm. you submit a claim to the insurance company while WorkSafe is paying you. The insurance company may say, well, we don't believe that you are disabled because this does happen. I've seen it happen, even while WorkSafe is paying the claim. So the denial happens. WorkSafe carries on paying the person for a year or two and then stops. Then the person wants to go back to the insurance company who had denied that person almost two years before. That's why we say it is crucial that you do speak with a lawyer as soon as the claim is denied. Because the timelines that we speak of are not only contractual timelines, in other words, timelines that you must submit a claim and provide proof of claim to the insurance company. We're also speaking about timelines when it comes to what is called a limitation period. Now, a limitation period is a time, a specific timeline that you have to submit or file a legal claim if your mm-hmm. claim is not being paid. And if you were denied way back when but didn't do anything about it, because WorkSafe carried on paying you, then the, the rug is pulled out from under you. 
because now suddenly your claim by WorkSafe is denied, you may find that you may be out of time to take action against the private, the group disability insurer. That is why it is extremely important that if your claim were to be denied, even while they still, meaning they, meaning WorkSafe, yeah. is still paying your claim, and the group insurer denies your claim, that you should speak to a lawyer to review the claim, to review what is happening, to review the policy and the provisions in the policy, so that you can be given some information and you can make an informed decision as to how to proceed with this. It is true that it may not, at the time when they deny you, that you may not be receiving any benefits from them and may not be entitled to benefits from them at that time. But the moment the WorkSafe claim gets denied, then the insurance company doesn't have anything to deduct anymore and they may become responsible for paying the benefit again. So again, crucial to be in touch with a lawyer and this is what we do. We review mm -hmm. cases, we review policies and we review denial letters and we offer free consultations to people who listen. So if it's you or a family member or a friend, you're welcome to get in touch with us and we will give you a free consultation and provide you with what we believe your options will be. Again, that phone number, one uh, 855 help at .ca. Uh First email coming in now says, Martin, how do I know what other income, if any, will be deducted from my LTD benefit? I'm receiving a WorkSafe monthly pension due to an old injury which happened 10 years ago. I recently went off work due to an entirely different issue and will be applying for LTD once my short term runs out. I will likely apply for CPP disability benefits as my condition is unfortunately likely to get worse. I'm also planning on renting out my basement suite for extra income. A lot of factors there. What do you think, pal? A lot of factors there, and this is the perfect question to delve into what is available to insurance company to deduct, in other words, mm. offset from what they would have to pay you. And we just spoke about WorkSafe benefits. Now, here's another one that comes into play. It's a monthly pension. So it may not be loss of income that WorkSafe is paying. So that in itself becomes questionable. Is it an offset or is it not? But let's, let's break this down. So this person received a WorkSafe monthly pension from an injury that happened 10 years ago. They then went back to work. Clearly they did because there is now a LTD benefit that is going to be filed. So at some point there was an injury, received a pension because of the injury that this person sustained, maybe something for example like $200 a month because you, your hand is, has a permanent injury. So you continue to receive that. Then, while you were covered under the group policy 10 years later, due to an entirely different reason, this person has now become disabled from performing the duties of his or her own occupation. Because the benefit doesn't pay 100% of your pre-disability income, there's going to be some financial stress. And this person is considering, what other sources of income could I have that will supplement my income? The first one that we'll be looking at is the WorkSafe monthly pension. Is that an offset? Well, that really does depend on the language of the policy. This isn't the same thing as WorkSafe benefits that would be payable immediately when you go off work and they pay you wage loss. This is something different. So I would want to look at the language of the policy, which will detail what benefits or what other sources of income are deductible from the LTD benefit. The second thing is the, the CPP disability. If CPP disability is approved, and now that is a federal benefit offered through Service Canada that you have to apply to, you get that benefit. The vast majority of LTD policies that you have a group insurer will provide 
that CPP disability benefits are deductible or offset from the LTD benefit. Some may also provide that there is a specific calculation that could be made to see if children benefits that you would receive are also offset. But again, it's dependent on the language of the policy. The last one that is mentioned here is renting out the basement suite for extra income. When you look at the disability policy, it will provide, as I said before, a list of things that can be deducted from the LTD benefit. It usually is related to income, employment income. So rental income is not something that you're doing through your own exercises or your, your own effort, your own labor. So rental income, I haven't seen a policy that provides that rental income would be an offset. So my answer on that is going to be no, it is not an offset. But the easiest thing to do and the better thing to do is if you have questions like this, let us review the policy because the policy will detail what is an offset. And if it's silent, we would say it should not be an offset. And with that, we will take a short break and be right back with more. In the meantime, you want to reach out to Martin and the team. You can do so. How do you do it? You make that phone call. How about that? Start right there. It's a good place to start. one 821 Help at disabilityrights.ca or simply disabilityrights.ca. That would be the uh, the website to go to in the, uh, in the meantime and check some things out there. You have any other questions to ask, you can do so on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, whatever you like, called my disabilityquestions.com and we will continue momentarily with more of the disability law show hang on this is a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser the opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw welcome back disability law show martin willems is your guy you can reach out martin's out of bc of course uh, the firm's covering across uh, bc alberta and ontario one 821 5900 to have a conversation of your own with Martin and his team. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That is the go-to email address. Your uh, your email might appear on a future show just like this one. It says, Martin, I've been on LTD since uh, 2020. I'm having issues with my caseworker pressuring me to return to work, even though their doctor assessed me, stating that I can't go back to the crisis work. Uh, to the crisis work, should I be going the legal route or via my union? So their own doctor that they hired said, "No, we can't go back. They're pressuring to go back." Really interesting question. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you know, it's not a very long question, but there's a lot to be said about this. So few things that jump out at me when I look at this. The first thing is that this person is unionized because they're speaking mm -hmm. about should they go to the union. Um, the other thing is that there is a long-term disability benefit that has been paid since 2020. Now, we're in 2023, so yep. it's more than three years. Well, you can imagine it's more than three years since that benefit started to be paid, which tells me that maybe this person is in what is called the any occupation phase of the policy. I know we speak about this every week, but to anybody who's new listening to the show, let me just break that down a little. If you have a group policy, and that's generally what we're speaking about, the vast majority of people who work have disability insurance through their employer. So that would be a group policy. The group policy generally has two definitions. The first one is you must show provide proof that you are unable to perform the duties of your own occupation. For the vast majority of them, the timeline for the own occupation period is two years. At the end of that two-year timeline, the definition for total disability changes. Mm -hmm. Then you have to prove that you cannot perform the duties of any other occupation within your restrictions and limitations 
based on your education training experience, in other words, based on within your transferable skill sets, that would pay you roughly the same as your disability benefit. So this questioner has said to us that they've been on claim since 2020. So if this is a general LTD policy, the person likely is in what is called the any occupation phase. So when they say the insurance company's doctor has said that they should not go back to the same crisis work that they did before, that may be related to what the person was doing in their predisability oh, as right. an occupation. So it may be, look, you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation, but we don't know what the doctor said about being able to perform the duties of another occupation for which this person has the transferable skill sets. Lots and lots of disability claims are denied at this juncture because the insurance company may say, we accept that you're disabled from performing the duties of your own occupation, but we believe you can go work in another occupation based on your transferable skill sets. And just so you know, those are generally assessed based on your previous experience, work experience, your education that you have, and any other training that you may have. Those are the factors that come into play when the insurance company considers this. Now, I've seen lots of cases that have been denied at the change of definition mark where the insurance insurer would say, we think you could go work in this occupation where the person may have had a very labor-intensive job. They would say you can go work in a sedentary occupation just because the person may have had some you know, Word or Excel experience working on a computer from 10 years ago for a yeah. period of six months. It just doesn't make sense. So if an insurance company says to you, we think that we are going to, well not, we think we are, we're going to deny your claim because we say that you are able to go work in another occupation. Don't accept that as fact. They may deny your claim, but they may not be right, and they often are not. Because in the real world in which we live, just because you have some skills doesn't mean that you are actually able to go work in another occupation. Right. So when this happens, again, you reach out to our firm, one of our lawyers can assess this because this is what we do on a regular day. We look at the claim policy, the letter of denial, and your actual facts. Do you have the transferable skills? And even if you do, is it true that you actually can now go work in another occupation? For example, the one that I was using before, the person used to work in a labor-intensive occupation. The insurance company says, well, you can now go work in a sedentary occupation. Clearly, they cannot do the labor-intensive one, but can they actually sit for long periods of time the because they have a bad back or a bad neck? Or the insurance company may say, well, you can take frequent breaks or can work from home. It really does depend on your actual circumstances. And also, this is extremely important at this juncture to get your doctor involved or any other specialist that you may have. Have the doctor comment on your ability to function in another capacity. Remember, a disability claim is not so much about the diagnosis as it is about functional impairment. What I mean by that is, if you have a diagnosis of depression and your doctor says you cannot work, chances are your insurance company is going to deny your claim. You have to explain why it is that you cannot work. What are right. the restrictions and limitations? And that goes back to this question again. If the insurance company is saying this person can go work in another occupation, the focus has to be what are the restrictions and limitations. And that would be from the person's perspective as well as from the treating doctor's perspective. 
can this person work in another job or does he or she have restrictions and limitations that would functionally impair him or her from performing the duties of another occupation and that goes back to the question itself again um, should they go the legal route or via a union the moment that there is a denial at least reach out to a lawyer like somebody at our firm so that we can assess the claim and speak to you about what your options are you don't have to go with us ultimately you don't have to sign or retain us but at least you will have an idea as to how to proceed because having the information as i speak to people all the time they feel so much better at least to understand why the claim was denied and what the options are asking about going to the union in some instances it is bargain for in the collective bargaining agreement that a person has to go through a mandated appeal process in that instance a union really does in my mind should become very very involved in supporting the right. union member but we won't know whether it would be one of those cases until we have actually assessed it so we can look at the collective bargaining agreement we could look at the denial letter and just ask some questions and help the person ask the right questions to figure out whether it is better to go through the legal route or to get the union involved. And that means we would have to look at all the documents to provide you with your options. Martin, tell me this though, is, 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 is it quite common in your experience where the insurer trips up uh, with as far as you know any, any, any sort of occupation beyond that point? Is it the commensurate income part where they mess that up saying, ah, you know, you used to be uh, you know, a lawyer or a doctor, but you can go pour coffee somewhere? Yeah, physically maybe, but there's a bit of a money problem there, no? That is a huge issue, the commensurate income. And you know what, no. what they do is they may hire some vocational expert. The person may just look at the person's resume and then look at the labor market analysis to see what is available out there and then say, well, maybe you can go do this job. Um, whether it is actually a, a real possibility in the real world that we live in, quite often it isn't, right? Sometimes the insurance company is correct. I'm not going to say that they're never correct, but quite often they are not. Many times, I would think the most times they're not. So when that does happen, we have a look at it as well because it isn't simply can you go work in this job based on the income itself? That is a big factor. It is actually, are you actually able to do it based on your medical restrictions and limitations? And you know, the same thing with, I see this all the time. People who have a mental health disorder, for example, depression, they may not be able to work as a bank teller where they're working with people's money, they're working with the public, etc. Then the insurance company says after the two years, well, we think you can go do something else now. Like, about what is that something? Is it you're going to work as a receptionist at a company? The person still has to, you know, focus, concentrate, deal with the public. Can you work from home? Doesn't mean that you don't have to focus any longer. So we look at all those factors. Um, with the insurance company, I think there's a fairly rudimentary analysis to see, well, is there a way to, that we're going to deny this person? I right. think that there are many other ways of looking at the claim, and that involves looking at, like you say, John, is the income that this occupation that they are suggesting the person should do, is that income commensurate? In other words, does it pay a certain percentage of the person's pre-disability income? Because if it does not, then the person should still be found to be totally disabled within the meaning of the policy. For example, you, you, you've used this before, we've used it many times as well. You cannot tell a person who's earning $600,000 or more as a neurosurgeon to go work in a job that pays $50,000 as a receptionist or whatever it may be. That's not the analysis. It has to be, number one, something that you can do within your medical restrictions or your functional restrictions and limitations. 
Number two, something for which you have the transferable skill sets based on your education, your training, and your experience. And the third one is something that is commensurate to your pre-disability income, or rather something that pays you similarly to what your LTD benefit amount is. All three of those things need to be in place before they can deny your claim. And again, guys, as we get into a short break here, we've got lots more emails. We've got a really short question, but a good one coming up on the other side. Martin, we'll get to that. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, that number, once again, I'll give it to you, one 821 5900 Reach out anytime. Martin there, he's got a great team with him, one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we're pulling all these emails from, by the way, on the show this hour. And again, it's absolutely free and anonymous to use mydisabilityquestions.com. That one's got a search database which is kind of cool so a previous question one of the thousands or hundreds at least that have been answered yours may be similar and you can check it out before spending the time typing in your question that is my disabilityquestions.com more to go we'll continue with more of the disability law show after a short break hang on this is a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser the opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw hey, hey welcome back disability law show good to have you sticking around for the hour more questions we got lots of emails to get through some are pretty lengthy and pretty in-depth martin some are a little shorter like this one plainly put can my employer fire me while i'm on ltd that's it that's a good that's a good question you know mm-hmm. it's something that we get quite often so at our firm we also have employment lawyers who deal specifically with these issues but in general i will say the following if you are receiving ltd benefits and the employer filed you while you are disabled you may have a, a human rights claim if that were to happen in other words if your employment were to be terminated reach out to our firm and we'll put you in touch with an employment lawyer to assess your claim and to discuss with you what your options are all right, let's get on to a lengthier one. It says, uh, hey, Martin, my husband has uh, hairy cell leukemia and has been off work since spending 66 days in hospital, December 19th of 2019 to February 24th, 2020. He's on long-term disability through work and on CPP disability. The doctor just said he can go back to work, but only one hour a day. His work called and wants him to sign off as a terminated due to frustration of contract. They say he will keep his LTD, but how can we trust the insurer will keep paying once he's no longer employed. He is just turning 57 years old and has worked for the company for 29 years. You got any advice? Thank you. Okay, so uh, quite a few things to discuss there. Mm-hmm. First things first, I've just spoken about the uh, at the previous question, recommending that if anybody's employment is terminated, That's right. that they reach out to our firm and we can put you in touch with an employment lawyer. I would say the same thing here. When this person says, is work phoned and wants him to sign off as terminated due to frustration of contract. That doesn't sound right. Uh, if there were to be a frustration of contract circumstance, have a discussion with an employment lawyer as to what that means and how that may impact you moving forward. It's not that you're going to sign off on it. It's something that your employer may decide to do. And if that does happen, you may have options and that should be explored. Going back to the question regarding disability, so this person, uh, the, the husband has hairy cell leukemia and has been off work for a long time. Um, and that goes back to 2019. So we're in 2023 now. So it's more than three years that this person has been away from work. The doctor apparently says that he can now go back to work working one hour a day. So clearly not on a full-time basis, not even really on a partial basis. It's on a very, very limited basis. 
the, they are concerned that if he does lose his job with the employer whom he has, through which he had the long-term disability benefit, the contract at least, that if that were to end, that it will impact his LTD benefit moving forward. They specifically say, they say he will keep his LTD, but how can we trust the insurer will keep paying once he is no longer employed? Right. A disability claim has to invests, if I can use that word, when you go off work, right? Then you have a relationship with the insurance company. Your claim is in place. If your employment is terminated after your LTD benefit has started to be paid, that should not impact your entitlement to ongoing benefits, right? The situation would be as follows. If the insurance company decided that they think you are no longer disabled from performing the duties of your own occupation, and in this case likely any other occupation, because he has been paid for more than two years, the insurance company may then decide that the benefit is going to be terminated. And the same advice would be extended to um, th this couple as well. Get in touch with us. But to be clear, just because you've lost your income or your income, your employment has been terminated, your employment has been terminated, that does not mean that your LTD, LTD benefit must be terminated mm -hmm. or will be terminated. The assessment is not dependent on being job attached or still having your job with the employer. The assessment will be do you have the qualifications and are you able medically to return to work to pay to get a job that may pay you something similar to LTD benefit amount? And if this insurance company did deny the claim, get in touch with us. The fact that the husband is able potentially to go back to work one hour a day clearly means that he should still be paid. If his function improves further right. because his condition may improve, and he's then able to work maybe six hours a day versus 7.5 or eight hours a day, then the insurance company is going to start looking, if not before, um, whether this person is still disabled from performing the duties of any other occupation within the meaning of the policy. And that's the timeline which we would say, if there's any discussion about denying this claim, get in touch with us. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. The number, by the way. Okay, next. Uh, let's sink our teeth into this one. It says guys have been on disability insurance uh, since September two thousand nineteen. I worked at this company for thirty years and had no previous long term illnesses until around uh, two thousand sixteen. I started having pains in my arms, legs, hands, feet, depression, and anxiety, and increased with time and had to had a breakdown. They got me to fill out a CPPBD this September. And I was approved. Um, I now get CPPD and it pays me a portion. However, they've asked me to see a psychiatrist, which they have provided, and to try to get me ready to return to work. 59 years old, and my doctor has written on my medical forms that I would indefinitely not be returning to work. I'm stressed out and tend to shut myself down when I have to do these types of things. I have arthritis, gout, depression, anxiety, like I mentioned. I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. Do I have to do everything that the insurance company tells me? I know, um, um, I know the way I think I have the ability to return to work anytime soon at all. Thank you. Sorry my question's so long. It's a, di it's a difficult one, though. What do you think? It is a difficult one, and I, I thank this person for reaching out to us. So clearly... Going off work since September 2019 don't, doesn't sound like things improved. And uh, they've been working with this company for 30 years, didn't have any previous issues, and they now has a bunch of them. 
um, which includes pain in the arms and legs and significant mental health disorders. CPP has been approved, which means that the government accepts that this person cannot perform the duties of any gainful occupation. 59 years of old, the doctor supports that they cannot go back to work, yet the insurance company is now deciding to send uh, him or her to a physiatrist. Now, a physiatrist is generally a doctor to deal with soft tissue issues, pain, etc., mm -hmm. to see what the, consider yeah. the restrictions and limitations would be. So the question is, does this person have to do everything that the insurance company tells them? Well, the policy does provide that the insurance company can send insureds for what is called independent medical examinations. The policy does allow them to do that, but it has to be reasonable. And there's also a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. I think this is an assessment by a doctor, so I don't see how you're going to get around not going to this. So maybe get the doctor on board, your own family physician as well. If there were any real concerns, I suppose the doctor could advise of those. But if it simply is an assessment, the policy journey does require that you have to go to those. It would be entirely different if it were to be, for example, a functional capacity evaluation. <sighs> when you have th things like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, yes, the insurance company can still do that and have you assess it. But if there is a risk that it is going to impact your condition negatively, in other words, exacerbate or worsen your condition, have your doctor write a letter to confirm why that is, submit it to the insurance company to say that these are the reasons you should not be going for this. And if they're still insisting that you do go, then you reach out to us. Yes, the insurance company can have you assessed, be assessed, but you don't have to do everything that they tell you every time. Each case and each issue should be assessed on its merits and within the language of the policy. And with that, we will send you over to the phone number if your uh, question wasn't answered fully. Probably was. Martin's pretty good. But just in case, one 855 821 and Short, uh, Short break, guys. We'll get to a couple more emails before we uh, wrap up for this particular show right here on the Disability Law Show. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And back for a few more minutes of the Disability Law Show this week. Reaching out to Martin Willems anytime. Always ready to take your call. He's got a team who answer that phone as well. And they want to have a chat with you on your own time. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca uh, Next email says, guys, I've been on disability for three years. Diagnosed with brain cancer. LTD is trying to make me work after I do everything they want for me. When should I get a lawyer? Yesterday. How about that? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think that's the right answer. So yeah. uh, being diagnosed with brain cancer, obviously a serious diagnosis, mm -hmm. has been on LTD for a period of three years, which again tells me the person likely is in the any occupation phase. Now it says the insurer is trying to push them to go back to work after he says, I did everything they wanted from me, which may be that the insurance company reading that may be that they said you should do some form of active rehab program. Uh, you could imagine with brain cancer there would be significant restrictions and limitations. I'm not mm -hmm. sure where things are at now, whether that is in remission, whether there is other side effects because of the type of treatment that there was, whether there's now a mental health component to this as well because that often happens. Anxiety, depression, as you can imagine, there would be. So 
pushing somebody to go back to work, we would want to know what the situation is. In other words, where is the treatment at? Has there been improvement? What was the person doing before they went off of work? What is the doctor saying? Is there support for a return to work? And if so, what does it look like? Is it a gradual return to work? Is it something like with our previous question where the person can only work one or two hours per day? Um, is there is, you know, are there other issues that should be considered here? What are the transferable skills? Because I think looking at this question, and like I said before, the person is in their any occupation phase now. So going back to the main question, should they get a lawyer and when? Yes, definitely. And you did the right thing by just sending in this email to our disabilityquestions.com website, .ca website. Um, what this means is we look at these questions, we respond to them, we discuss them on the air quite often, and then we encourage people to get in touch with us so that we can actually look at, like I've said with many of the questions before, look at the policy, look at your actual facts, Look at where you are at. It doesn't sound like this claim has been denied as of yet, but if the insurance company is starting to push you to get back to work, it's looking like they're starting to get ready to do that, which means then that you need to understand what your rights are because a disability contract doesn't just have obligations on your part. It also has rights. The insurance company is going to push you because they're motivated to get people back to work. But it shouldn't be done in a rushed way. It should be right. done within the time, well, the framework of the policy, what the person's medical restrictions and limitations are, and most importantly, you do not want to go back to work when the doctor doesn't support that you can go back to work, yeah. and also when a return to work may create a worsening of your condition. Because I often see cases where a person has had some improvement in their condition. And they're starting to think, well, maybe the future is more optimistic. It's maybe more positive. They're starting to think that maybe I can do some volunteer work or maybe I can try and go back to work on a very gradual basis. And at that moment, when they, when they recognize that, the insurance company cuts them off. And whatever gains they may have had, and I've seen this so often, specifically, specifically with mental health disorders, where the person feels more optimistic the anxiety is more controlled now. The insurance company cuts them off prematurely and all the gains that they've had are out the window. They're gone because now they are not ready to go back to work. They have financial stress. They're stressed because they are dealing with a conflict situation where they have to deal with an insurance company who is not paying them. And all the treatment that they've had have been wasted. And then the recovery process may be much longer and I've seen lots of people wanting to give up at that juncture. And that's the message to everybody listening. Do not give up. If that were to happen to you, if the insurance company cuts you off when you're not ready to go back to work and they say you are, or if you have gone back to work, working in a limited way, and then they deny your claim and it sets you back and you go back to your baseline where you cannot work at all, reach out to us. It is imperative that you do so because there are timelines involved in pursuing a legal claim. And if you decided, if that were to happen, that you're going to pursue an appeal, for example, also speak to us before you do that. That is your right. It's one option that you can consider, but there are also other options. And when I speak to people and other people in my firm speak to people phoning us to the public and they ask, what are my options? We go through all of them. It's not simply you must do this or you must do that. It is you yeah. have an option to appeal. 
you have an option to file a legal claim. What do those options look like? Because if we get involved, once we've had a discussion and the person decides that they want to retain us, we do it on the basis that we only get paid if the person gets paid. And also, and this is very important to people who are suffering or living with a mental health disorder in any, or any other disability, the stress of dealing with the insurance company, we take that. We will now take over all communications with the insurer. You don't need to deal with that anymore. Your focus is your treatment, focusing on getting better, focusing on your health and your family. And we deal with everything that has to do with the insurance company. We take over those communications and we focus on getting the claim resolved so that our clients can move on with their lives without having the stress of dealing with the insurance company any further. Want to get to one more uh, short email here? We got two minutes left to go. This one is this one's incredible. Check this one out. Uh, Martin says, "Hey Martin, I, li- I lift anywhere from thirty five hundred to four thousand pounds a day. I'm now sixty two years old, and my back can no longer handle it. Uh, there was no one incident that caused it. It's just years and years of lifting. Would I have a claim for disability? You know, yes. Uh, just well. listening to it. Obviously, we would need more information. But good lord, uh, lifting three thousand five hundred to four thousand pounds a day." That's significant. The person is 62 years of age. They have been doing this for a very long time, sounds like it. So it's a very physical yeah. job. And the back, as we all know, degenerative disc disease is, you know, everybody has a disc change. Tell me about back. it. Degenerative. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if we're tall, like you and I. You got it. <laughs> so yeah. it's there. We live with it. But doing a very physical job, it gets worse over time. At the age of 62, I can imagine it is becoming a huge problem. So the assessment here is, can you perform the duties of your own occupation? And if your duties would be lifting this amount of weight every day and your back can no longer handle it, most definitely have a discussion with your doctor. In conjunction with that discussion with your doctor, make a decision as to whether you can go on disability because a disability claim is available to you if you have an illness or a condition, regardless of what it is, that would prevent you from performing the duties of your own occupation. And this person, if they have this very physical job and cannot do it because of their back, I cannot see how such a claim would not be a valid claim and should be approved. And with that, we are ready to uh, wrap it up for another week. Thank you so much for all of your emails and correspondence. Keep sending them along. They might appear in a future show, and Martin has a team that reads them off air as well. So have no fear. You will get a response. That email address as we wrap it up here is help at disabilityrights.ca. And use the phone number, too, anytime. Call out one 855 And then finally, the website, simply disabilityrights.ca. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.